with it being Father's Day, of course, I'm sure you're probably expecting a Father's Day message, and uh, that's okay, no problem with that. Um, as I was thinking about Father's Day, of, of what I would say, some things uh, definitely came to mind. Uh, maybe I could talk about uh, how you could be a better father. Maybe I could talk about how you could spend more time with your children. Uh, maybe how we could be more faithful to uh, God or how we could be more faithful to our family. And all those things are, are good. Um, if, you, if you still have a father living, I'm sure you probably either uh, already gave him a phone call, sent him a card, or uh, maybe you might see him today. I know that uh, some of our uh, guests here today, they came because uh, their father uh, attends uh, here. And I think that's great. Um, if your father is not living, I'm sure you're probably reminiscing about some things maybe your dad did, um, maybe some funny things that he did. I can remember uh, growing up that there was a thing one time I went to a store. It was a toy store, Toys R Us, and I had saved my money. I wanted to get this plastic cowboy fort. And it had like the little like sticks around it, surrounding it, had little towers on it. It also came with Indians and had wagons and teepees and all that kind of stuff. Spent some time playing with it. My dad says, hey, I want to play with you. Oh, yeah, great. I mean, I spent my money on this, saved it up, everything. And being me, I'm going, okay, I'll be the cowboy because I get the fort. You can have the tents and teepees and, you know, whatever. But it says, okay. So what does he do? He goes, I'll be right back. He goes inside. He comes back out, and he's got a box of matches. And he starts lighting them and throwing them at the fort. He says, I got flaming arrows. <laughs> what ended up happening is that thing caught on fire, and it, it burned and melted. It was, I'll never forget that. So I'm sure maybe Father's Day you've been thinking about things like that, of things that your dad has done, and, and that's, that's fine. But also, I have to remember, too, that maybe some of you grew up in a home where the father was absent. Uh, maybe your dad was very harsh and cruel. Um, you know, and I'm very sorry that you had to experience that, um, but... Whatever the case may be, you know, we've set aside this day to remember that God has given the gift of family. He's instituted family, and he's put families together because he wants us to know how families are supposed to work with each other. And many times we get a view of who God is through our relationship that we have with our fathers, I believe that there are many Christians today that have a very skewed or a very wrong view of who God is. And that may be because maybe they had a very dysfunctional family growing up. Or that could very possibly be just because they just simply do not know what Scripture does teach about who God is. And so this is a very important thing for us as we look into God's Word this morning of who is God? Um, what is he like? What, what are some things that maybe we misunderstand about who God is or what he's trying to do in our life? And so that's what I really want to spend our time here this morning of do we really know who God is? Do we know what he is like? Um, do we have a very accurate view of who God is, our Father? Uh, 
how do we know if we have a wrong view of God? And how will we know that if our wrong view has affected how we operate and live within the community which God has placed us in? So let's uh, begin here this morning. I want to begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, show you a scripture here, and then we'll uh, get into a portion of scripture that I think can really give us an accurate view of what we sometimes mistake about who God is. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for just your love and your compassion towards us. And I thank you so much for all of the, the dads and the fathers that are here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you bless them, bless their families, um, help them as uh, they take upon the spiritual leadership of their home and that they would be uh, faithful to the calling that you've given them. I pray, Lord, as we look into your word that we will understand who you are. I pray that if there's anybody here today that does not know you as their father, that they don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that, Lord, you speak to their heart, you draw them to yourself, and that they would come into a relationship with you. We're so thankful for your love for us, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. So we must understand this morning as people, all of us, God has designed and created us to know who God is. There is a deep longing desire inside our hearts to know God and to know him more personally. That's why people are searching all over the world. And they are searching for answers to problems that can only be satisfied in God. And so God wants us to know who he is. God wants us to be transformed by his truth. God wants us to know the truth. And see, we are either growing in freedom or we are becoming ineffective in our witness for Jesus Christ. You see, if we are not being transformed by his truth every day, then we are not knowing God in a more meaningful and deep, passionate way that we should, uh, that the Lord wants us to have in a relationship with him. So I want to give you a verse here, and I think this verse is very appropriate. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You see, there is one foundational truth, and all of who God is can be measured in the person of Jesus Christ. If you do not know who Jesus Christ is, then you really don't know what true love really is. Because everything about love, everything about God, everything about what God wants you to know is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we come to know Jesus, we come to know that truth. We come to know his love. We come to know his compassion. We come to know what he is really all about. And as we grow in that knowledge of love in Jesus, we grow more in the knowledge of who God is. But see, there's a problem that I think all of us face. If you know Christ is your Savior, then when we stop growing in that knowledge of who God is, then we start to get some very skewed views of what God is like. And so it's important that we keep that relationship open with Jesus Christ. If you do not know the Lord, I encourage you to turn to Christ, repent of your sin, turn to Jesus, trust Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the only source of your hope and faith. Jesus is the only one that can offer the answers to all of your problems. And so we must understand that anyone who does not love does not know God. 
because God is love. You see, Jesus is the perfect expression of what love looks like, of what it sounds like, of what love does. And I believe that many followers of Jesus, myself included many times, do not live in the reality of his love. Meaning that we are not growing, meaning that we're not moving, meaning that we are not um, progressing in the knowledge of his love. There are more things that are more pressing, more things that are more important at that time. And we leave off the love of God. We leave off that knowledge of the love of God. So that brings us to this question then. What are the most misunderstood characteristics of the Father? I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, what are the two important things? What are the two most important things, the characteristics, the attributes, the nature of God that most people misunderstand of who God is? I mean, if you were to ask anybody and say, well, what do you think about God? Or what do you think God is like? Or what would they say? If you were put upon the witness stand and someone were to ask you and say, who is God to you? What would you say about your father, God? Well, here's a few that I thought of. And I think these are probably the most two misunderstood characteristics of the father. Number one, God's love. Why do we misunderstand God's love? Secondly, I believe another thing that we misunderstand is God's goodness. And so these two things, I believe, is what many Christians and unbelievers that do not know Christ oftentimes have a very skewed view of who God is. Now, if I were to ask you and say, do you believe that God loves you? You'd say, oh, yeah, sure I do. And maybe you'd even give me a Bible verse like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Maybe you'd probably give me a verse out of 1 John uh, telling us that God is love. And maybe if I were to ask you, I'd say, do you believe that God is good to you? Of course you'd say, yeah, absolutely. We just sang a song this morning, you're a good, good father. And we would all agree and attest to those facts. But why is it that we as believers... And why is it that unbelievers as well have a very skewed view of these two characteristics of who God is? Well, when things are going really well, we have no problem accepting God's love and we sharing with others how much God loves us. But when things turn ugly, it seems as if the smile of God has left us. It seems as if the doom and gloom of life has come and overshadowed our lives. Feelings of guilt, resentment, and why me comes into our lives. Even though we know God is love, and we know that God's love is unconditional towards us, we still feel as if we need to do something to win his affection back in our lives. That's a very misappropriated view of the love of God. For example, our daughter Evelyn, sometimes that child can be very difficult. We'll be sitting at the uh, dinner table and we're going to be eating dinner. Everything's going fine and then all of a sudden... She's been overtaken by a demon. (laughs) What happened? 
And then she cracks this really sinister little smile. You love me, don't you? (laughs) And in my heart, yes, I do love you and I do care about you, but you're not acting correctly. Now, my daughter should know, I mean, she should know by now, she's understanding some things that even though when she does misbehave, that she doesn't have to try to win that affection back because I already still do love her. It was amazing the day that she was born. It was like God put a love in my heart towards my daughter. It was there. I didn't have to work it up. I didn't have to sit there and be like, well, you know, I'm going to have to really try to love her. God placed it there. And I believe that as many times as Christians, we do something, we say something, we act in a certain way, the feelings of guilt and resentment come over and into our lives. And then all of a sudden we feel like we have to do something to win back the affection of the Father. But God still loves us unconditionally no matter what. Turn to your neighbor and say, God loves me. God still loves us no matter what. Then the second thing about God's goodness, in moments of suffering, it's tempting to allow ourselves to doubt the goodness of God. We reason with ourselves that somehow, some way, this moment of suffering is evidence that God is less than who he has depicted himself out to be. Suffering tempts us to doubt God's goodness and his kindness in our lives. Suffering will tempt us to doubt his faithfulness and his love in our lives. Even though we may never speak that aloud, we still bring God into the courtroom of our lives and we say, you were not faithful. Look what you brought into my life. And we may never say audibly, but it's in our hearts. And we doubt his goodness in our lives. So how are we to understand his love and his goodness correctly? Well, I believe there's a passage in scripture that's going to show us that. And this is a very familiar passage of scripture. We're going to turn over to Luke chapter number 15. And verses 11 through 31. And Luke 15 gives us this moving story that Jesus tells about a parable of the lost son. There's actually three stories together. There's the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. If you've never read these stories, I'd encourage you to do so. But all of them have one central theme, and it's about finding something that is lost. God tells this story. Jesus tells this story because prior to this, Jesus was sitting down with the sinners, and he was eating with them and drinking with them and having a good time. And a lot of the religious leaders at the time came up to him and said, you eat with the scum of the earth. And Jesus basically gives them this story to try to illustrate a point that, that God is searching after those that are lost. But in this story, there is much more than that. Much more. So let's examine it a little bit more clearly, and I'll try to comment a little bit and highlight a few things as we go through this story. So Luke chapter number 15, and verses 11 through 16, I'll read here, and then I'll uh, give you a few things about that. Jesus says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. 
The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son, he packed up all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living. So what's going on here? There's two sons living at home. The youngest son says, hey, dad, give me my inheritance now. And so his dad says, okay, which is a very strange request that the son would even ask this to his father. Because usually you didn't get your inheritance until after your dad died. And we find out that his dad gives him a third of the inheritance. You say, why a third? Well, because during that time, back in the days, that in the Jewish culture, the firstborn son got double. So the oldest son was going to get two-thirds of his dad's inheritance. The youngest son here was only going to get a third. So his dad, no doubt about it, I'm sure maybe he sold a few things and got the money all gathered up. And he says, here you go. Here's your inheritance. And what does that young son do? Well, he packs all of his belongings. And it says that he moved to a distant land. And while he's in that land, he wasted all his money in wild living. Now that was a very bold move to make. But yet he does this, and yet the father's reaction to this is simply amazing. He doesn't say to his son, you're out of your mind. You're not getting any money now. You're going to have to wait. But he simply gives it to his son, knowing that possibly he was going to squander all of that living. Knowing that he was going to leave and knowing that he wanted everything he had. I mean, can you just picture this just for a moment? Maybe his son was out there working and the wheels in his head started turning. And he's looking around. He's going, man, this is really a drag here, man. I'm going to get out of this place. And so he starts thinking a little bit more. And he says, I bet you if I ask dad, hey, dad, can I have all my money now? He'd probably give it to me. He gets up a little courage. He goes and asks his dad. And his dad, reluctantly, he gives it to him. Willingly, he gives it to him. And he knows that he's going to spend it all. He knows that he's going to misuse it. Can I tell you something? This reflects the amazing indulgence that God shows even towards us. Because even when we are acting as selfishly as the prodigal son here, as this youngest son... God indulges us. His love indulges us. He's good to us and his love shows that through by yielding what is his, what is rightfully his, and allows us to misuse it out of respect for the freedom that he has given us. But he knows, God knows that the misuse of our freedom will have no better results than it did even for the prodigal son. Because what was the father thinking about this this time? He gives him all of this money, and he knows he's going to misuse it. He knows he's not prepared to go out in life. He knows that he doesn't have a a job. He knows he doesn't have a car. He doesn't have a wagon. He doesn't have a, a place to live. He knows he's going to blow it. But he willingly gives it to him, knowing that possibly when he misuses it, that he's going to return back home. And isn't that exactly what God does? God doesn't put us on a leash. 
He doesn't sit there and put a shock collar on us. God lovingly gives us things. And even though knowing fully that we are going to misuse or misappropriate those things, God gives them to us. Completely out of his love towards us. So what does this prodigal do? Well, the same thing that we would do with God's love and goodness. We pack it all up. We move to a distant land. And there we waste all of our money on wild living. Well, something interesting happens. In comes the hard times. Look what he says here. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. I mean, here comes real-life situation, hardship hits. He's out of money. He doesn't know anybody in the land. He can't call collect. He's there, and he's hungry. Nobody will give him a thing to eat. All of his friends have left. All of his chums and his pals that he used to hang out with, they're all gone because the money's all gone. And so what does he do? He goes and he finds a local farmer and he says, Hey, I'll work for you. You're a pig farmer. I'll work for you. I'll feed the hogs. Okay, sure. So this guy's feeding the hogs. And can you imagine how desperate you must have come to a point in life that you're so hungry that the slop that you're feeding the hogs looks so delicious. And this guy is wanting the food that the hogs are eating. We think about that. The real life situation Everything, all of his dreams are gone. They're up in smoke. But something amazing happens. Look what the scripture continues to say here. Look what he says in verse 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. Having been brought to such a low state, he recalls now of even his, his home life. And he says, My dad had servants. And even the servants get to eat. Here I am, I'm in this distant land. I don't have anything. I've, I've wasted all my living. And he says, what can I do? He says, I'm going to go home. And he plans to return home. And notice what he's going to say to his father. Three things here. He says this. He says, I'm going to go home to my father and say, he's writing this all out. He's got a script. He's putting it down on paper. And he's going, okay. Three things I need to tell my dad. First of all, I have sinned against both heaven and you. Yep, that sounds good. I'll, I'll put that down on paper. Second thing, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Boy, that'll really get dad. Oh yeah, okay, all right. Thirdly, please take me on as a hired servant. He can't refuse me. I mean, I'm starving. I know my dad's got money. I know he'll feed me. I'll put these things down on paper. So what does this teach us? Well, the Father, we get everything that we get from the Father, we get his loving care. The worst off that we will be and our best course is to return to God and to his forgiveness. We need to turn back 
to the Lord. Just as this man did here. He returns back home. He returns back to his father. And he knows and says, look, I'm in a very horrible situation here. The only hope I have is to return back to God. To return back to my father. But something amazing happens. And I love this. This is such a a beautiful picture of God's love. As Jesus is telling the story. I mean, can you imagine the picture here? Here's these religious leaders. They're upset that Jesus has been spending time with all of these uh, publicans and sinners. And Jesus tells a story. And then it just really, I mean, this is like a heart-wrenching moment here. He says this. He says, he goes home. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. See that picture? See him, his son's coming. He's looking out. He sees his son. He's returning back to him. And instead of going, you just wait till you get home, buddy. He's filled up with love and compassion. And he runs out to meet his son. One of the most misunderstood things, and I've heard this so many times. I, you know, I talk to people and say, hey, really like to have you come and worship with us sometime. They say something like this. Oh, no, I can't come in there. The the ceiling will fall down on me. Can I tell you something? That God's love and his compassion is so overfilled and overjoyous when he sees people coming back into his presence. God loves us that much. But sometimes in our thinking, we have that guilt, we have that resentment that that build up inside of us. We think, Boy, I've really done some things and I don't think God is going to accept me back. God's not going to love me as much. Well, the record is set straight here. Just as Jesus is telling this story saying, I am welcoming back sinners into my presence. We too, as, as children of God that know Jesus, that when we misunderstand God's love, we need to look at Scripture and say, no, Jesus is ready to welcome us back with open arms, with love and compassion and tenderness and mercy in our lives. Can you imagine? The returning son must have been so astonished at this. But he continues by beginning to recite his speech. And I love this. He gets welcome back. I mean, I'm sure it was probably caught off guard. His dad probably gives him a big hug. He's probably sobbing and saying, oh, son, I'm so glad you're back. Dad, dad, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you something. And he begins to recite his speech. Look what he says. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. First point. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Second point. But then his dad cuts him off and doesn't even allow him to continue. Look what he says. I love this. He says this in verse number 22. But his father said to the servants, Quick! Bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. And is now returned to life. He was lost. But now he is found. He doesn't even get to put into his third point of what he was going to tell his dad. Dad, hire me as a servant. I mean, here's the picture. His dad welcomes him back. He's crying. He's kissing on him. And he says to the servants, hurry up. Get a robe. Get a ring. Get some fancy shoes. Those Nike shoes will do. Bring them. 
He gets it all for him. And he says, where's that fatted calf? It's over at the Hoolies. We'll go get it. <laughs> they get the fatted calf. They cut it up. Boy, they make some big, nice, juicy sirloin steaks. Throw them on the grill. Start the music. Start the party. We're going to have a grand old time here because my son has returned back home. You see, this shows us that God's reaction when we return from being lost in sin, he doesn't begrudge us of what we have done. He doesn't take us back reluctantly. Like the father here in this parable, he takes us back joyously and eagerly. And meanwhile, look what he says here. The party's beginning. He says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. This gives us a very interesting perspective of another thing that we look at about misunderstanding God's goodness. Here's the older brother. He didn't leave home. He stayed right by his father's side. He didn't just treat his dad with disdain and humiliation by asking for his inheritance. He stayed at home. He worked hard. Picture him out in the fields. He's working. His hands are probably really rough from mending fences. He's sweating. He's sunburnt. Maybe his lips are very parched because he hasn't had water a little bit. And he's out there and he starts to hear some music. Looks at his sundial. (laughs) Why are they playing music? Maybe he starts to walk up to the house and he's so thirsty and he sees a servant and the servant's carrying a, a plate of, uh, of ribeye steaks and a, and a plate of uh, Charlie sweet corn. What's all this? Oh, haven't you heard? Heard what? Your brother's back. We're having a celebration. We're having a good time. Join the party. What does he do? Look what he says here. He says here in verse number 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father comes out and begs him. But he replies, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? That's how angry he is. He's so upset. His father says to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. You see, when we see this, this happens, we discover that he's just not angry with his brother. He's angry at his father. When we misunderstand God's goodness in our life, it's not the fact that we are angry at the situation. We are angry at our father that's in heaven. Because we say, you ordained this situation, and look what 
position you have placed me in. I have difficulties. I can't pay the bills. Medical things are rising up. There's people calling. I got things going on. Look what you did to me. And we misunderstand God's goodness. But look what the father does. He points out that he has never done anything wrong to him. The son here points out that he's never disobeyed his father. That he's never given him a kid, a young goat, so that he could slaughter and have a party with his friends. He says, I've never squandered your money. I did everything you wanted me to do. And I believe that that is a very misunderstood misconception about God. We somehow, we sometimes think, we say, yep, church attendance got that down. Yep, got my offerings in. Yep, read my Bible. Yep, I did all these things. And then when hardships and difficulties do come in our lives, we say, God, look at the list. I've done everything you wanted me to do and look at the list. And what are we doing? We're being angry with God about his goodness in our lives. As we see here, this, this older son here seems to be very worrying about his own security in the family. Since the father is showing such seeming favoritism to the other son. He's giving him a robe. He's putting rings on his finger. He's giving him fancy shoes. He's got the sirloin steaks on the grill. Seems like he's got everything that's been given to him. So what does the father do in this situation? Look at this. He tells his oldest son three things. Number one, he says, you have always stayed by me. My love and my goodness has not, nor will not ever change towards you. Secondly, he tells him, everything I have is yours. That's never changed. Everything I have is yours. You're still going to get the inheritance. You're still going to get two-thirds. It has never changed. Thirdly, he says, we had to celebrate. Why? Because the celebration did not change the father's love or goodness to his oldest son. He still loved his father. That's why he went out of the party room and he said, what are you doing out here? Come inside, celebrate with us, have a good time. Why are you out here upset? He was still going to get his inheritance and he was still going to be the oldest son. And you say, well, that's nice. But how does that fit within me? Well, see, in this parable, it gives us two pictures of two people in each person. And they both doubted, each single one of them, they both doubted the love of God and they both doubted God's goodness. They doubted the Father's love and they doubted whether or not the Father's goodness towards them. The older son did everything right, but he too took his Father's love and goodness for granted. He thought that because it seemed as if his father was showing favoritism to the younger, wasteful son. And we look at the younger son and we say, did he doubt his father's love? Absolutely. Did he doubt his father's goodness? Absolutely. He took his father's love and goodness for granted. He didn't even think his father would welcome him back home. Now this is where I really want to bring this into application to us. Because I believe that those are the two things that are often misunderstood. Is God's love and God's goodness in our life. 
Now, it's not the fact of what they did, okay? It's the fact of the situations that presented themselves in their life. You see, as soon as we begin to question the character of God, we'll quit running to him for help because we end up going to somebody else for someone else for help, somebody that we can trust. And so when we start to question whether or not God is good or whether God's love is really genuine, we look for other places to find that love and we look for other places to find that goodness. We see that in all kinds of people's lives and things that they bring into their life for love and for goodness. The youngest son ran back to his father for help. The oldest son stayed with his father, but still had to learn the spiritual lesson that his love and his goodness never did change. So if you no longer believe that God is faithful, if you no longer believe that God is loving, that God is gracious, you won't run to him for help and peace when troublesome times come into your life. Instead, you'll seek out earthly ways to try to find that love and try to find that goodness in your life. This could be drugs, this could be people, this could be television, this could be food. It could be any kinds of things, friends. But we often seek out earthly ways because we simply won't go back to our Father because we misunderstand about His love and His goodness. So here's what you always need to remember. You can trust the character of God because he sent Jesus to die for you. So in times when you are thinking whether or not God really does love you, just remember the fact that God sent his son Jesus to die for you. Remember that Jesus took upon himself all of your sin and was crucified so that you might be made righteous in the eyes of God. In moments of difficulties in life, don't run away from God. Don't run away from his goodness. Always remember that he is good. Remember always that he is love. Remember that he's ready to welcome you back at any moment in time of your entire life. So this is what happens, I believe. That we, as followers of Jesus... When those difficulties, when suffering comes into our life, God is trying to show us something about who he is. And either we do one or two things, either we run away from it or we embrace it. And it's when we embrace it that we come to experience more of God's love and we come to experience more of his goodness. Because the things that God is bringing into our life is not to hurt us, it's to help us. He's trying to make us more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. But oftentimes when we find ourselves in a pattern of sin, we look at that and God's trying to do some progressive sanctification work in our heart. And we say, oh, I can't return back to God. I'm going to have to get things straightened out first. And what do we do? We run in this continuous cycle and we're ever running away from God instead of just simply running back towards him. God is trying to do a work in your life. God's trying to do work in your heart. There's no accident why that all of us are here this morning. You say, well, you know, my dad invited me or, you know, I 
came because I saw something on the sign, said free food, whatever, okay? The thing about it is that God is at work in your life and he's drawing you to himself. You have to simply just say, hey, God is trying to do something here. God's trying to do a work in my life. And instead of running away from that, we need to embrace it. Do not misunderstand about God's love. He loves you. He loves you. You are, you, are, you are his prized creation, the Bible tells us. He loves you more than you could ever know. His, his heart and is, is so filled with compassion and love towards you. He's good. He's always good. He brings things into our life because he wants to be good to us. So don't ever doubt those things. Let's pray together.